Thanks for joining us today. Our church exists to give everyone, everywhere, every reason to know Jesus. You can learn more by connecting with us on Facebook at Journey Fellowship Denton. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy today's message. I talked to uh, one of our guys in the church. I said, hey, you ready for Christmas? You've been all done all your Christmas shopping? He said, I haven't even started. And I said, uh-oh, you're in trouble, right? You're in trouble because I know what you do. You dodge, you dodge that, and already the streets, I don't know if it's me, but the streets and the highways are, are filled with people more and more. Um, and I don't think it's just Christmas. I just think there's more people around here and there's less streets for them. But uh, Shannon has been decorating our house. She's got more lights than, than uh, I don't know, a VFW runway. We, we, our whole house just lights up. And uh, she loves it. She loves to celebrate Christmas. And she's been into that Christmas mood. Some of you, I know you kind of start trying to get into that Christmas mood. She started cleaning, doing all kinds of stuff, you know. And she was cleaning yesterday. It kind of reminded me of a joke. It's a dad joke that a lot of uh, my kids, bet my kids just say, Dad, please don't. But I'm going to do it anyway. Do it anyway, you know. And here it is. What does Santa use to clean his sleigh? Comet. Okay. All right. Eric, can I get some applause for that one? I thought that was pretty good. I, I mean, that one right there would almost as good as some of yours I've heard. Anyway, do we need any more? No, no. I love them. I love them. But the Christmas season is on us. It's upon us. And for all of you bah humbuggers, I just want you to know it's another wonderful time to celebrate Jesus. So if you're not in the Spirit then ask the Holy Spirit to get you in the Spirit. To celebrate Jesus, to celebrate His birth, this wonderful time of the season. It's important. It's important. A lot of people think that, you know, it's not relevant, that Jesus' birth is not applicable to our lives. I'm going to tell you today why the birth of Christ is so incredibly applicable to your life, your daily life, and not just applicable to your life, but how that came about. And it was illustrated in the scriptures by the gifts that the wise men brought. Been started, I started, last week I started a series called The Original Gifts of Christmas. And I want, I want to continue in that. And I want to talk to you about those wise men again and about the gifts that they brought. Now there are several things that we do not know about these men. Number one, we don't even know how many there were. We always say that there's three wise men because there were three gifts. It makes sense. I mean, that's good deductive reasoning. We would say that there would be three wise men. These noblemen that, 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 that showed up to worship Jesus, to honor Jesus. But the second thing we don't know is we don't exactly know where they came from and we don't even know when they arrived. And that kind of brings a whole new story to the whole nativity scene because in every nativity scene that grandma always put out, you had the wise men and the shepherds and you had the donkeys and the sheep and you had Mary and Joseph and Jesus and you had the angel on top of the, of the manger scene. I just recall all those things because I remember, I can see the picture in my mind. And we think that that was the night that Jesus was born, but really we don't know exactly when the wise men arrived. Most likely it wasn't that night. It was probably a little bit further past that. Some traditions, as a matter of fact, in Eastern Christianity, the, the Orthodox Church, they celebrate, they celebrate the, the Feast of Epiphany. I don't know if you know that. You'll see it on your calendar. I believe it's December the 6th. But it is 12 days after that. They think that that was the 12 days that it took for them, for Jesus to be, to Mary to be purified, for Jesus to go to the temple. And that's where the song 12 Days of Christmas comes from. It's the Epiphany in January, on January the 6th. So you, 
just a little nugget there of truth. We don't know when they arrived. Some may even think that they didn't arrive to worship Jesus until he was all the way back in Nazareth at at the house. And you'll see that in Matthew chapter 2. Because they come and they go enter the house and, and they worship Jesus and they worship Jesus and he's probably between 18, and two, 18 months and 2 years old. Now let me just tell you something. That brings a whole new dynamic to the Christmas scene. When you're not just dealing with a baby, an infant wrapped in swaddling clothes, but you're dealing with a toddler. How many of you know what toddlers are known for? You know, they just, they do their own thing. And let me tell you something. You know where the, the United States came up with the whole idea of you don't negotiate with terrorists? It's toddlers is where they got that idea. You do not negotiate with those little guys. There was a time in Shannon and I's life when, when we quit going out to eat for about a year. Of our three kids, there was one in particular that just didn't allow us to go out to eat. Why? Because... It was not worth the nervous breakdown that was going to occur at the restaurant while we were trying to keep him in his chair. What really did it for us was we went out to eat after church on a Sunday night and we're sitting at McDonald's. And in this McDonald's, there was an indoor playground. And we're eating our burgers and we're just having a good time fellowshipping with church people. And we look up and somebody says, oh my goodness. And here comes my middle son, my toddler, buck naked, out of the tube that came from the McDonald's playground. And I said, My Lord, Shannon's like, Scott, go get him. Go grab him. He's got his clothes, his jeans in one hand and his shirt and stuff and socks and shoes and everything else in the other hand. And he's running toward us like this. And I'm like, son, what are you doing? He said, dad, I couldn't hold it. I said, what? At that moment, I look up and in the tube that goes to the slide, I see water dripping from the middle of the tube. McDonald's workers are scrambling like crazy. They're like, this is a brand new unit. We just got this last week. And I was like, well, we broke it in for you, all right? This is used for kids. That's right. We quit going out to eat after that. It took us about a year to recover. No more church people invited us out for a while. Matter of fact, it was until Seth got his license that we got to go out to eat again. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. That brings a whole new idea. They were worshiping Jesus. But what we don't know is what we don't know. But what we do know is what we do know. The Scripture tells us exactly what we do know. We do know that they did make a journey, and we know why they made that journey, and we also know what they brought with them on that journey. Look at with me in Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, verse 10 says, And when they saw the star, they being the wise men, these noblemen, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house... They saw the child with Mary his mother, 
And they fell down and worshipped him. We know the why. We know why they traveled this far distance. We know why they went through the season that they went through. We know why they followed the star. Because when they saw him, they fell down and worshipped him. Friends, it has not changed. In 2,000 years, the reason why we come, the reason why we follow, the reason why we seek, especially at Christmas, is so that we can fall down and we can worship him as the king who was born. But he goes on and he says this, And then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. I talked about that frankincense last week. I want to kind of take you back to that scene this morning. I want to take you back to the scene, and I want you to use your imagination as these wise men, as these noblemen entered in to worship Jesus. Just let your mind just kind of open and use your imagination in this story. And I'm going to be a little bit liberal with the text. But if you think of it from the perspective of that third wise man who brought myrrh. He's standing there and these other wise men as they begin to present, you know, there's Mary and Joseph and there's the baby Jesus. And the first wise man steps up and he holds this gift that he has and he kneels down before this family and he begins to unwrap this present that he's carried for possibly thousands of miles. As he opens it up, the light reflects off of this shimmery piece gold and immediately joseph of course the father's eyes begin to light up i mean who wouldn't be so excited about seeing gold as a present who receives that gleam in the father's eye wow what a gift what a gift second wise man he steps up He kneels before this child with Mary and Joseph sitting there and he begins to unwrap his incredible gift that he has taken so much care of over the last several months, even years. As he begins to unwrap and unfold the cloth that lay above this little jar, all of a sudden, as it was opened up, a fragrance begins to flood that little room. Mary, a little twinkle in her eye, she's honored because, wow, this is a gift for a priest. Who wouldn't be excited to have a man of God, a child grow up and to be a man of God, a priest who represents the people? What an incredible honor. And as as she sees that, Joseph smiles and he sticks his chest out so excited and so happy because he knew this meant something. Standing back, that third nobleman. I'm sure that through the course of his entire journey that thoughts have rolled through his mind. Maybe he second-guessed the gift that he was bringing. He knew that one of his traveling companions was carrying gold. How are you going to compete with gold? Who's going to outdo gold? I mean, that's the gift for a king. Who's going to be able to to, to beat gold? I mean, wow, what a gift. And frankincense, I mean, that's a priestly gift. That's an expensive, very uncommon gift. Only used by the priest, by by the priesthood. What an incredible gift. 
He's carrying something else. He's carrying something that I know that he knew the response would not be the same as the gold and the frankincense. Even though he takes his gift, it's wrapped, he'd taken such precious care of it as he's traveled all or all of these miles. Hesitantly, he begins to walk toward this child and he kneels before this family. He begins to open this gift. As he does, finally the light catches. And as Mary sees this gift, tears begin to form in her eyes. Joseph, a deep sigh, settles in his voice. It's the gift that they know is not as celebrated as maybe the gold, and not as, as something to be honored as frankincense, but they know what it means. He turns his gaze, this wise man, back to his gift, this gift of myrrh. Now, here's what I want you to see. That gift doesn't seem very, it it doesn't seem any more strange than frankincense. I mean, we can all celebrate gold. I mean, Aaron, wouldn't you like it if Mimi would just bring you a big stack of gold this Christmas? Noemi, would you just get Aaron a bucket of gold? Would you just do that? Frankincense is a little strange. I mean, we, we explained that last week. But myrrh, that's not the kind of gift you give at Christmas. See, we have to ask the question, what is myrrh? Well, I'll tell you what it is. Myrrh is something that is used, and it's mentioned over 17 times in the Bible. It's a, it's a, a gum-like substance that comes out of the trees. There's one familiar occasion that we are accustomed to hearing about myrrh, and it's when Jesus is on the cross, he's hanging on the cross, and the soldiers offer him wine mixed with myrrh, and they give it up to Jesus in order to numb his pain. It was used as an anesthetic. It would numb had a strong, it had strong properties, numbing properties, anesthetic properties. But the most notable function of myrrh was for the preparation of the dead. You see, the Egyptians had perfected the art of embalming. And they had not only exported their skills, but they began to export their, their spices and their ingredients all around the ancient world. And at the time of Jesus, myrrh was a very expensive gift or an expensive ingredient that was used mainly for embalming the dead, for the preparation of death and burial. Now go back to that scene of that third wise man kneeling before that family and that child. Gold, wow, what a celebrated gift. Brings a smile to your face. Frankincense, the aroma, just causes you to feel a sense of honor. It just transports you into the temple, into the presence of God. 
But myrrh, that's kind of awkward for a child. It was prophetically painful to give this gift, especially in front of his family, to just a small child. And so this third wise man, whether knowingly or unknowingly, he brings this gift. Can I just tell you how courageous he had to be to bring that gift? How courageous he had to be to present this young family a gift that was only celebrated at the death and the burial of a person. So what do we make of that? What do we make of this story? You see, if the gold was a gift for the king and frankincense was a gift for a priest, the prophetic gift of myrrh was a gift for a savior. Because if you see in the scriptures later in Revelation chapter 13, 8, it's the gift that the one who in Revelation 13, 8 said was the one who was slain before the foundations of the world, before history ever began, before anything was ever started, and before the light ever cracked the skies of the earth, it was decided. Jesus, the Son of God, would be the Savior of all mankind. Long before the earth was spinning, long before the animals roamed the grassy plains of, the, uh, of, of Texas, long before those things happened, Jesus was the Savior, the anointed one that would come to be the sacrifice. He was presented this myrrh at that moment at his birth, reminding the world of the fact that Jesus was born to die. Not, a, not a, a joyful Christmas message. Jesus, this child who was born, he's born to die. But this gift is the gift that most often we can miss. And I want you to, to know, even as a Christian, we can miss this gift because we get so caught up in celebrating the joyous gift of the birth of Jesus that we forget about the most important gift that came in the form of Christ, and that is his death. truth is, is that Jesus was born to be our king and to be our priest. But in order to be our savior, it would require his death. You say, well, come on, pastor. Well, why did we need a savior in the first place? Well, let me just share with you a verse that Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus was ever born, he explained this whole process and he called it. It'd be kind of like predicting the Super Bowl players and who won in the score of the Super Bowl 700 years before the Super Bowl ever happened. That's the prophet Isaiah. He says in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6, he says, All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We have left God's path to follow our own. He says, Look, I want you to understand, this is why we need a Savior, because all of us are like sheep. Let me, let me just say, church, Gee, when, when Isaiah said this, he wasn't paying you a compliment. He wasn't paying you a compliment calling you a bunch of sheep. If you've ever been on a farm, if you've ever been around sheep, you can train dogs, you can train horses, you can train cows, you can train birds, you can train hamsters, sometimes you can even train a cat. But you cannot train a sheep. Sheep have three main characteristics. 
And they fit so appropriately with who we are. Why do we need a Savior? Because we're like sheep. First thing, sheep are, are weak. They're defenseless. I don't know if you know this, but when a sheep has, full, has his full uh, fleece, when he is full, ready to be sheared, he can fall over and can't even get up by himself. It's funny. We used to knock him over just to watch him struggle. I know, that's sad, but that's what teenagers do, okay? Just knock him over, let him sit there and do this. They're defenseless. When a, when a wolf or a coyote or a bear or something came out to take on a sheep, what's he going to do? Growl at him? Show his fangs? No, he's going to die because he's weak. He has no defenses. A sheep is not just weak, but he is witless. I told you it wasn't a compliment when Isaiah called you sheep. He said, you're weak. You're defenseless in this world. But he said, you're also witless. You know what sheep will do? Sheep will follow other sheep even directly into danger. Some of you may have seen the article several years ago. It's a true story. In 2005, 1,500 sheep followed themselves or followed over a cliff in Turkey. Happened in Turkey. 1,500 sheep went over a cliff because one did it. Let's all do it. Come on. Good idea. Let's go. All these sheep just marching over the cliff. Dum, 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 woo. That's bad. There's my second one today, Troy. All right. Thank you, John. Props for the dad jokes. Over the cliff. Here's the great part of that story, though. Only 1,100 died because the first 400 that fell caused a cushion and the other 1,100 just bounced off and kept on going. Sheep are witless. They're weak. They're witless. They'll just follow the crowd. How often do we just do that? Well, yeah, they're doing it. Everybody's. If you've raised a teenager, well, mom, everybody's doing it. So? You're going to walk off a cliff? Yeah. That's three, John. You're not just witless. Isaiah says you're like sheep. You're not just weak and witless, but you're also wayward. Sheep tend to wander. Thank God we had cows instead of sheep because they're a full-time job just to manage. That's why you make smaller pens for them because they'll just wander off, do their own thing. The thing about sheep, they require so much care is because they will overdo it or underdo it. A shepherd constantly had to bring sheep. If you remember the 23rd Psalm, he says he guides them into green pastures. He leads them beside still waters. Why? Because they won't know where to go. They don't know how to get to those green places. They just wander out in the desert hoping something green just pops up. They, won't, they, don't under, they don't know. They have to be guided. They have to be directed. They have to be showed. And sometimes they will eat too much. The shepherd has to bring them away. Let me tell you something. A sheep will actually eat themselves to death. If you were to keep pouring food in a sheep's uh, uh, trough, they would eat themselves to death. They don't even know when to stop. That's a sheep. You know, we're just like that. We overdo it. We get overly worked with worry. We get overly worked with anxiety. We overdo it. We eat too much. 
Stop, that wasn't in my notes. We overspend, we overwork, we overworry. We're like sheep. We're just like them. We'll follow the crowd. We'll go off on our own. We'll do our own thing and get separated from the group. And we, before we realize it, we're in danger. And there's nothing we can do about it because we're weak. And the world just has its way with us. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. But look at the last part of that verse that Isaiah says. It says, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. We had nothing to offer. What did we have to bring the Lord? What did we have to bring to God? I want you to think about your life before Christ. B.C. If you don't know Jesus, you can think about that moment. Some of you have tried to forget that moment. Can I just tell you, you had nothing that God wanted except you. You couldn't bring him your talent. You couldn't bring him your your righteousness. You couldn't bring him your your, uh, prestige or your titles. God didn't need any of that stuff. You had nothing to offer him. The only thing that you brought to him were your lies and your deceit and your lust and and your, your hatred and your hypocrisy and your greed and your secret sins that nobody in the church knew but you do. That's what you brought to Jesus. And the Bible says he took all of those and he placed them upon himself. Jesus accepted the responsibility for your sins, for your failures, for your mistakes. He brought that on himself. It was laid upon Jesus, the Savior. It would be laid upon him, as Isaiah said, 700 years before it ever happened. Because Isaiah saw something that the writer of Hebrews expresses in Hebrews 9.22 when he says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. You see, that's an important thing to think about at Christmas because it would have been our blood had it not been for a Savior. A Savior who was willing to embrace the gift of myrrh Embrace the gift that the wise men brought him that day. The gift of burial. The gift of death. Unless the Savior was willing to accept that and to allow his blood to flow. All of those sins that I told you, that that I listed before you, that, that showed your life. It was your neck on the line. He was the perfect lamb. We weren't able to save ourselves. We needed a Savior. We couldn't do anything about it. We needed someone because everything that sin does, it brings pain, it brings suffering, it brings shame, and it brings heartache. Sin's not a subject that most churches even talk about today. But the greatest part of the entire New Testament, as a matter of fact, I'd be willing to say that the entire New Testament talks about the sacrifice of our Savior to defeat the sin in our own life. It began to be laid upon him as he knelt in the Garden of Gethsemane. Why don't you go there with me? As Jesus kneels in the quiet of that garden, the crickets are making noise. The only things that you can hear besides the deep sighing of Jesus weeping and his, his heavy breathing 
He's filled with sorrow. He's filled with incredible trouble. You can see it upon his face as he cries out to God. The Bible even says that a process called hemosiderosis, which, which is a medical term of how extreme shock and trauma can cause the capillaries in your very head and in, in, the, in the pores of your body and the sweat glands of your body to begin to leak blood because they expand to such an extent. Jesus in the garden cries out as, as that is laid upon him, the sins, your sins and mine is laid upon him. And he begins to cry out, oh, my heart is overwhelmed even to the point of death. And he says this, not my will, but yours be done, Father. They need a Savior. Not my will, but Lord, I, I'll do what you have asked me to do. I'll fulfill the work. In that garden, you know the story as lights begin to work their way through the trees. The darkness is pierced by torches and soldiers and the clamor of of armor approaching Jesus. And they come and the betrayer kisses him and signals to to the soldiers to arrest him. And Jesus is arrested and he's accused of sedition. He's accused of of, of, of blasphemy and he's, he's unfairly tried in a kangaroo court. And over the course of just a few matter of hours, Jesus is sentenced to death and crucifixion. That's what sin does. That's what sin results in. Death. They take Jesus. They strip him naked in front of everyone. In front of his family. In front of his own mother. The shame that flooded his heart, I'm sure, was almost unbearable. And they took a crown of thorns and they shoved it onto his head. One to two inch thorns that pierced his, his, his brow in such a way blood flowed all over this man's face. They began to spit upon him. They struck him with sticks. They began to weep him, whip him unmerciless, unmercilessly until the flesh on his back began to peel away because of the extreme beating and because of the intensity of that whip that would lash and rip flesh from his back. They beat him again and again over the brow of his head. Deep into his scalp they would continue to smash those thorns down into his body. They pull on his beard and beat his body until he was almost unrecognizable. That's what sin does. Sin makes you unrecognizable to your own family. To the people that know you the most, sin can make you unrecognizable. How did you get in this condition? How did you end up here? You need a Savior. They put a cross beam upon his back, probably weighing about a hundred pounds. He was forced to carry that up this road called the road of suffering to a little hill just right there near Jerusalem, the place of Golgotha. And there the Roman soldiers began to drive seven-inch nails through his wrists, his feet, nailing him to the cross, raising him, elevated position above all the people that were standing there and the soldiers. 
This was a torture that was reserved for slaves or for traitors, for the most wicked in society. And yet here's a man who was completely innocent hanging upon this cross. Why? Because that's what sin does. It's the picture of sin. The excruciating pain that Jesus experienced on the cross is almost indescribable. As he would raise himself with his arms push his legs, pushing against the nails that were driven through his own body as he pushed up, trying to gather his breath. Pain. That's what sin does. It brings pain. Finally, weakened from the loss of blood, naked, hanging there through the heat of the day, fighting for every breath. Most likely his shoulders finally gave out. They were dislocated to where he couldn't pull himself up anymore. And Jesus knew that the end was near. And this is the greatest pain that Jesus felt as he tilted his head toward the sky and said, Father, why have you forsaken me? It was a suggestion, but it wasn't a reality. The pain of the mortal body of our Savior. He looked to heaven and said, God, why did you leave me in this situation? Why did you let me let this happen to me? That's what sin does. It puts us in a position where we look at God and we say, God, why did you leave me for this to happen in my life? Friends, that's the sin in our life. God never left. He just turned his face as he must. Because of the hand of sin that was laid upon all what Isaiah says in verse 6. He said, and all of our sin was laid upon him. That's the Savior. That's the Savior. And he finally says, it's finished. The book of Acts chapter 4 verse 12. The scripture says, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's no other way out. There's no other answer. There's no other Savior that's going to come to your rescue. No person can deliver you from your, the destructive nature of sin and your own self. Only Jesus The reality of it is, is that whether you approach Him or not does not determine whether or not He is the Savior of the world. But it does determine whether or not He is your Savior. And that myrrh was presented to Jesus on that night to the wise, from the wise men. It would not be the last time that He was given myrrh. You know the story. He was presented that murder on the cross. But he didn't accept that gift because he declined murder the second time. He doesn't numb the ugliness of sin. He experienced it for us. He took it all, as ugly as it was, as painful as it was. Jesus took it because he is our Savior. 
And that's what Zephaniah says in chapter 3, verse 17. It says, the Lord your God is with you and he is mighty to save. He is mighty to save. Pastor, you just don't realize what's, what, the, what I've done in the past. You don't, you don't realize where they've been. Some of you, I know that you personally, you've been praying for people in your family. You've been praying for children. You've been praying for grandchildren. You've been praying for moms and dads, aunts and uncles, and people in your family. And you say, oh, God, please, would you just reach them? Lord, would you just say, let them see, Lord, where they are. Let them recognize, Lord, that their life is just heading over a cliff, Lord. Let them see it. Let me, let me remind you of Zephaniah's words when he says, Our God is mighty to save. You're not making a request to someone who can't fulfill it. He is a God who is able to speak to a cold heart. He can break down the barriers of walls that have been built up in people's lives for years. He can bust through them in just a moment of the work of the Holy Spirit of convicting power. And that person who finds themselves in the pig pen of life, like that prodigal son, suddenly in a moment the Bible says that he came to his senses. And just in that moment, you or someone else in your family or someone you care about can come to their senses and they can see, oh God, you, Lord, you, anything is better than this. Lord, I will return to you. I will return to my Father. Jesus is mighty to save. And that third wise man that brought that myrrh. I thank God he was able to understand the might of Jesus. Daniel, would you come? There's no doubt in my mind that as that wise man traveled, that he considered that gift. I'm bringing myrrh. I'm bringing stuff that you bring to a funeral, to a burial. I'm bringing... Myrrh to a baby shower. But when the time came and he presented that gift, he didn't approach him as king, though he was. He didn't approach him as priest. And I'm so thankful that the Bible includes this story these wise men because I believe he's one of the first men to approach Christ as Savior. As Savior. My question for you today is will you approach him as your Savior today? Let's bow our heads this morning. Maybe you're here and you're celebrating Christmas. But you haven't had what I'd like to call that myrrh moment. The moment when you recognize Jesus as your Savior. Not just to familiarize with who Jesus was. I mean, everybody knows the story. We all know the story. But what really is the meaning underneath that story? What was the meaning of that wise man who brought myrrh to a baby? Presented it to his family. It was to recognize Jesus as the Savior. This morning, I want to just challenge you. I want to challenge you today to approach Jesus as your Savior.
Now, I understand we're in a church this morning and there's a lot of you who I know for sure. You, you know Jesus. He is your Savior. You've asked Him to come into your life. He's not just your Savior, but you live for Him every day. He is your Lord. You follow Him. You serve Him. It's a part of who you are. Has become a part of, your, of who you are. You've become a part of the, of the body of Christ. But I want you to know there's a more, there's a deeper level of that. Sometimes, even as believers, we find ourselves in positions to where we can't, we are defenseless, we're sheep. We make poor decisions at times. Even as a Christian, you can make a poor decision and it can lead to a lot of heartache, a lot of pain in your own life, even in your family. You can, you can do things just because you're a sheep. You, you just, you tend to wander. Maybe you've encountered Jesus as your Savior years ago, but over the last few years, you've really tended to just focus upon the gold and the frankincense, but you haven't stopped to reflect upon the gift of the myrrh. You have a king, yes. You have a a priest who is abdicating for you in heaven, but you also have a Savior. close with this scripture before we pray. Matthew chapter 1 verse 21. The angel that came to Mary gave Mary this important message. All the thoughts that flowed through Mary's mind about this child that was going to be born, this angel clarified it all in one statement when he says, and you're going to bear a son and you will call his name Jesus or he will save his people from their sins. He is our Savior. He is our Savior. He is your Savior. And He is mine. So with every head bowed this morning, I want to just make an opportunity for you to just approach Him as your Savior today. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand. And if you would like to come forward and you would just like to spend some time in the altar today, I would encourage you to do so. Maybe you're not even thinking of yourself. Maybe you have a family member who needs to know Jesus as their Savior. Not just a child born in a manger, but as the Savior, the one who received the gift of myrrh, prepared to die, born to die. We can't forget that. So in a moment when I ask you to stand, I'd like for you to come. Spend a few moments with the Lord this morning. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, rather than just coming and kneeling at the altar, I'd like for you to come to right here to the middle because I want to pray for you. And you can kneel right here in front of this, of this podium. I want to specifically just spend some time and pray with you. I want to lead you to that Savior that I know and that many of us in this room do know. So as we stand right now, would you stand all over this room? As I begin to pray, if you would like to take a few moments, we've got plenty of time. Would you just come? And spend some time in the altar. Maybe for a friend, the loved one who doesn't know Jesus this Christmas season. What an incredible opportunity for them to come to know the Lord during Christmas. 
So let me pray over you. And if, as I pray, would you just come where you are? If you don't know the Lord as your Savior, you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, you've never accepted Him to come into your heart, to ask for forgiveness of your sins, meet me right here at the front of this podium. And let's make sure that you are introduced to Jesus, our Savior, this morning. Let's pray together. As I pray, would you come? Father, I thank you, Lord, for this day. I thank you, Lord, for the incredible presence, Lord, that we have felt, Lord, all over this service this morning. Lord, I pray that, God, today, that, Lord, we would see you as a totally, in a fresh new light. Lord, we've not forgotten that you are our Savior. But, Lord, once again, remind us, Lord. Remind us, O oh Lord, of the great sacrifice that was required, that you were just a, uh, you were a child who was born not only, Lord, to be the king of the of kings and Lord of lords that we celebrate, not only to be the priest, to help us, Lord, in our time of need, but to save us, Lord God, when we, Lord, could not save ourselves. Lord, today I pray that you would help us remind our hearts today of you being our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want to come, I'd invite you to come and spend some time with the Lord this morning. Thanks for listening to this message. If you were blessed by this ministry, we want to encourage you to share it. And if you don't have a church home, come join us any Sunday at 1030.